0: All right, we are going to be beginning a three-week series on embracing God's design for marriage. Embracing God's design for marriage. And as we do that, uh, those of you who are making your way in, we have handouts in the back. You can grab one, follow along, kind of where we'll be going this morning. As we begin, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we will begin. God, thank you so much for just this morning that we could be together as your people, fellowshipping, worshiping, uh, hearing from your word. And as we continue these things, Lord, pray that we would have humble hearts. I pray that we would see what we must about you. And as we look at your design for marriage, God, I pray that where conviction needs to take place, I pray that it would happen where encouragement needs to to be felt. I pray that we would see it and and feel it. And um, Lord, that we would be godly, holy people who embrace your institutions in the ways that you designed for them uh, to be held. Pray that you would make us some more holy people as a result of our time together this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So the series is titled Embracing God's Design for Marriage, and in order to embrace God's design for marriage, we need to understand first what his design is. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, is looking at what God has to say about manhood, womanhood, marriage, some key foundational realities as we consider marriage. And this is a pertinent topic for really anyone to study. If you're married, this is absolutely crucial for each one of us who are married to understand what God has said about marriage, to strengthen our marriages, to, to embrace God's design for marriage. If you're single, this is crucial for you to understand because you may get married someday. And so to look in and understand what God has to say about marriage, that's extremely helpful. If you're not married and you're not going to get married, or if you've been married and Uh, you're married no longer. This is incredibly important to understand God's intention for marriage because there are married people in the church. And understanding God's intention for marriage will aid you in how to pray for those who are married and how to encourage those who are married and how to come alongside and spur on towards love and good deeds those who are married. Marriage is one of the fundamental foundational institutions In all of humanity from the very beginning, and yet it is tragic, sobering, heartbreaking to know that uh, roughly 50% of all marriages, according to a study in 2019, end in divorce. And not only that, 41% of first-time marriages end in divorce. This truly is staggering and tragic and is completely outside of God's design for marriage. If you Google strategies for a successful marriage, let's say someone is struggling in their marriage and they go to Google and, and put in strategies for a successful marriage. One of the top results is an article titled 10 Secrets of a Successful Marriage. I'm glad they figured it out. 10 Secrets of a Successful Marriage. You'll find things like this for strategies of having a successful marriage. First complain this is the first one they have complain constructively and then the author goes on to say say do happily married couples grumble about each other you bet they do but presentation is everything and then she goes on to explain how to complain constructively There's also share your concerns as a title for one of the 10 secrets of a successful marriage. Also, be a little selfish and goes on to write several paragraphs about all the sacrifices that one makes within the marriage relationship and how it's time to focus more on yourself. Because otherwise you're going to get in a rut of just doing things for everybody else. Break the cycle, fulfill your dreams, all these other strategies. It goes on and on. It just broke my heart reading these. Can you imagine feeling hopeless in your marriage, searching and having that be what is placed before you? God is not silent on marriage. God has spoken, God is clear. He has a desire for his glory to be manifested through the marriages of his people. And that should be the desire for each of us that we would see God glorified and magnified in our marriages. And so as we talk about marriage in the coming weeks, what we're gonna do this morning, we're gonna look at the foundations for biblical marriage. And then we're in the coming weeks gonna transition into the fundamentals of biblical marriage. So, in your outline, number one, Roman, Roman numeral one, Foundations for Biblical mar- Marriage, it, it starts with understanding how we got here. How did we get here? Well, we know from scripture that man and woman are created in God's image. This is a fundamental truth that we must understand when thinking about the marriage relationship. When thinking about men and women in general, we must understand that God created man and woman in God's image. We know that from Genesis 1, 26 and 27. We also know that man and woman sinned against God and are separated from God by their sin. And each one, male and female, are accountable for their sin before God, depraved in their sinfulness, separated from God because of their sinfulness. They are hopeless because of this. Let her see, man and woman are, are hopeless in and of themselves to be what God desires. Isaiah 64 6. Even righteous deeds are but filthy rags. We see God's word to the nation of Israel as they are forsaking his instruction. Trying to pretty themselves up and yet God gets at the heart of the matter that there's not enough good they can do to merit a righteous standing before God. There's not enough good they can do to make right the wrongs of their sinful rebellion and in fact anything that they would try to offer to God apart from God is filthy rags before him. We also know that we're hopeless in and of ourselves from John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There is no way for us to right the wrong of our sin. We are hopeless apart from God. This is a foundational truth for marriage. If we want to have a successful marriage in God's sight, if we want to embrace God's design for marriage, it is not something that we can conjure up in and of ourselves. We need God. We need his strength. We need his instruction. We need his spirit. Jesus is the only way to be reconciled to God. And only one who is reconciled to God can live in a way that is pleasing to God. Do you understand that? A non-believer is at enmity with God. They can do moral-conformed things, but to have their life truly be glorifying to God, they must first be redeemed by God, and the only way for that to happen is through Jesus. So the starting point for every marriage that is going to embrace God's design for marriage is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, And I would just ask you this morning, is that true of you? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? As you ponder your life, as you ponder your priorities, as you consider your pursuits and your affections, Is your life characterized as trying to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, by trying to to get yourself good enough, by moral conformity, by going through the motions, the, the, the Christian routine, or are you truly redeemed by the blood of Christ? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus as the only means of salvation before a holy God? It must start there. So as we consider these these uh, foundations of biblical marriage, marriage, and we understand how we got here, we see that man and woman are hopeless in and of themselves, and yet it doesn't end there. We have hope, letter D, for my marriage because I have hope in Jesus. So if you are a Christian, listen, wherever you are today, in your marriage, whatever you 've been experiencing, whatever you 're going through, uh, whatever victories you 've had or whatever challenges are before you, there is hope if you are in jesus there 's hope there 's hope for you. What a glorious truth for the believer there is hope to be able to glorify God, to walk in good deeds. Go ahead and turn to ephesians two ten we 're going to be jumping around a little bit. This morning. Spending quite a bit of time in Ephesians. Paul, after just spelling out in verse one, you can look of chapter two. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedient. Among them, too, we all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath Even as the rest, that's the hopelessness that we all have apart from Christ. Verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. There's the hope that's offered in Christ. For by grace you have been saved. And then jump down to verse 10. For we are his workmanship. For those who are in Christ... We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. If you are in Christ, there is hope for you in your marriage to be able to walk in a way that is pleasing to the Lord, to walk in good deeds, to embrace God's design for marriage, to glorify God in your marriage. The following verses, Titus 2, 14, 3.8, 1 Peter 3.13, all express the realities, or the reality that God has good deeds for us to walk in. And if you are in Christ, your marriage is one of those areas where God has good deeds for you to walk in. To make much of him. Then lastly, under this understanding how we got here, we must understand that the institution of marriage is good. We must understand this. This is a a presupposition that we must embrace. We must understand this from the forefront when we're thinking about God's desire for marriage. The institution of marriage is a good institution. What are the implications of that statement? Have you ever heard someone say, man, marriage is so hard? Who, okay, just a little, we're going we're gonna to be a little interactive here, okay? So if you have questions, you can raise your hand, uh, stop me along the way. Uh, I'm going to ask you questions as we get in here a little bit, but we're just going to have a confession moment here. Who has ever thought, man, marriage is just really hard? Okay, total setup marriage is good. What's hard about marriage is not marriage. What's hard about marriage is my sinfulness, is your sinfulness. In fact, God looked at his creation in its sinful state Said it was good and then considered it. And the only thing that was not good when there was no sin was for man to be alone. And so he fashioned woman out of man, made woman, created the institution of oneness of flesh, of the marriage relationship between a husband and wife, the union that takes place there. And he looked at that and he said that was good. Marriage is good what's hard what's difficult the struggles that we face in marriage is not because of marriage marriage is not to blame our sinfulness is to blame and it might come out in that environment if someone's hyper competitive and they play me in racquetball and they lose and they're angry about it it's not because racquetball is bad everybody knows racquetball's wonderful I just simply brought out of them sin. That, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> I lose at racquetball frequently, but I enjoy playing. Um, you get the idea. The institution is not wrong. The institution is not to blame. God has created a wonderful institution of marriage that is to be embraced. And what's difficult, and we must understand this. We must understand this. What's difficult about marriage is our own sin that we bring to the table. Why is that important? What do you guys think? What are the implications if we embrace that reality? Yeah, you shepherd your own heart. Thank you, Sarah. She said, I shepherd my own heart then, right? If if what's wrong or hard about marriage is the institution, then what am I going to look to when it's hard to try to change? Uh, Get out of it. Separate myself from it or blame it to deflect, right? I'm going to be, I'm going to be blinded to my own sinfulness in the moment because I'm just going to be blaming this thing called marriage. You know, I was angry at my wife and I, I yelled at her and I was impatient because, you know, she wanted it this way, but I wanted this marriage is just hard. You know, marriage is tough. Oh, well, as opposed to God has an intention in this to reflect something glorious about himself, to be for my good, to make much of Christ. And you know what? I was really selfish and I failed in this moment to meet God's standard for what he desires to be. And in so doing, I, I lowered the standard of what God desires for my marriage. Uh, I failed the standard rather, taking, taking responsibility for my own sin. So we must understand that the institution of marriage is a good institution, God looked at it. He said it was good. Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Ephesians 5.21, we see God go on to express just the the greatness of his intention for marriage and what it communicates and what his desire is for the man and woman. We're going to look at that passage in just a, a little bit here. So, Those are some things that we must understand, foundational things, understanding how we got here. Now, we must also understand God's design for men and women, right? A marriage relationship is a union between a man and a woman. That is God's definition. And in order to understand God's design for marriage, we must understand God's design for men and for women, And this is taken out of our biblical convictions. So if you're in our membership class, you're probably either have gotten this or are getting this now. If you go to our website, look up Grace Bible Church's biblical convictions. This is one of them. This is near and dear to our heart. Our biblical convictions are truths that we've covered over the years that really kind of shape uh, who we are as a church and how we do ministry, what we think about God's word. And this is one of them, understanding God's design for men and women as it pertains to uh, spiritual equality Yet role differentiation. Uh, when we understand God's design for men and women, we understand that there between man and woman is spiritual equality, yet role differentiation. They are spiritually equal. Men and women are spiritually equal before God. We both sin before God. We both need a redeemer. There's not one that is more redeemable than the other, more important to redeem than the other. We are spiritually equal before God. Yet God has a specific design for men and women, and they're not exactly the same. There's differentiation here. There's different roles. And what we're going to do is we're just going to briefly walk through how this is expressed through Scripture. First, in the Old Testament, consider spiritual equality. Go ahead and turn to Genesis 1. Genesis 1 verse 26. Starting in verse 26, verse 26 and 27 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There's spiritual equality. There's never a, an emphasis of one being more valuable to God, one more like in the image of God. Both men and women are created in the image of God. This is God's design, that, that man and women are spiritually equal before him. And yet there is role differentiation. Just turn a little bit to the right, chapter 2 of Genesis, verse 18. Then Yahweh God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. God has something specific in mind. He has created man. He's given man a specific task within the garden. And then he looks at man. He says, it's not good for him to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. There's a created order there. There's role differentiation there. God created man first, then woman. God had that order in mind. And God both instructs and confronts the first human pair through the man. The order God has designed is linked to our roles, but not to our spiritual equality. It's okay to have differing roles, and having differing roles doesn't equal different importance. The order does not diminish our spiritual equality and enhances and promotes our roles. Just consider Jesus' emphasis or or how he demonstrated spiritual equality in the New Testament. Jesus dramatically emphasized a a woman's spiritual equality with man in the midst of a woman-demeaning Greek culture. Roman and even Jewish cultures would demean women. Jesus used illustrations and images familiar to use and useful for women. Jesus revealed himself as the Messiah to women. Jesus taught women directly. He touched women and allowed them to touch him. Jesus allowed women to travel with him and his disciples. After his resurrection, Jesus revealed him first to a woman. All of these things were culturally unprecedented. And Jesus valued women, he expressed this uh, importance in many different ways, and yet he never corrected, in fact, he only enhanced the reality of role differentiation. I think where people get themselves in trouble is, see how important women are to Jesus, therefore they need to be, or assume, roles just as men, or men need to assume roles just as women, and uh, we confuse these two ideas of spiritual equality and role differentiation or these two realities. Jesus did nothing to exalt women to a place of spiritual leadership over man. And if there was ever a time to correct prior teaching and practice in regards to role differentiation, it was at this time and he made no such attempt. Rather, Jesus affirms what revelation has already taught that women are spiritually equal with men before God. In fact, he elevated this out of the culturally sinful view of his day. Jesus also affirmed the God-given role differentiation from the Older Testament. How about the rest of the New Testament? Women are spiritually equal. They are spiritual equals as men in redemption. Gender wasn't taken into account when God designed and carried out redemption through Jesus' atoning work. Women shared in the struggle of advancing the gospel with Paul. Paul. Wives were to be viewed by their Christian husbands as fellow heirs of the grace of life. And yet, there are different roles. Paul, under no less inspiration of the Holy Spirit than the preceding verses, defines different roles for men and women, both in the church and in the Christian home. And what's interesting, oftentimes the argument is, well, Paul was giving instruction for the culture of that day, but oftentimes Paul's defense and petition is to the creative order from Genesis 1, which breaks down that argument. If you were to say uh, women are to be subject to their husbands— And that's a cultural instruction. That's a cultural command for the culture of that day. It's not to be applied beyond that. If your defense to that instruction is something that took place 4,000 years prior-ish, then that defense that it's simply a cultural instruction breaks down. Do you understand that? Unless there was the same culture for 4,000 years, which we know is not the case. So if you say, well, the instruction from the New Testament regarding role differentiation is a dated dated instruction based off of culture, you're just missing the whole point. You're not using any sort of logical uh, hermeneutic to understand what Paul's really getting at there. See, so as sinful genders who come to taste God's glory and life-transforming work through the cross of Jesus— we actually something, we see something beautiful and exalting, glorifying to God when we embrace the specific roles that he has for man and woman. It doesn't take anything away from our spiritual equality, from our position before God, from our need for God, from the offer of salvation for all who would repent and believe. It doesn't take anything away when we embrace God's design for man and woman what that looks like it actually puts on display something wonderful and glorious about god and who he is about the the relationship within the triune god god has something to reveal about himself both in our spiritual equality and in our role differentiation we get a, a picture, a simpler picture of the Triune three and one. God. There's spiritual equality within the Godhead, but role differentiation between the members as well. And as a church, this is something that we are eager to express. We want to express this. That's why we emphasize so so intentionally. In our build and wellspring ministries and really every ministry of the church, God's design for manhood and how a man is called to, with Christ's likeness, sacrificially serve and lead his home because it reflects something wonderful about God. It's his design. It's his instruction for us. And we encourage and shepherd and direct and teach on God's intention for women to be in submission to their husbands, to be a helper for their husbands. Because there's something wonderful about about God that's put on display when we obediently walk in his instruction. This is crucial for our marriages. If we want to embrace God's design for marriage, it must begin with understanding God's rules within marriage. If your marriage relationship is a constant struggle of of both of you chafing and pushing against and rubbing against God's design for marriage, it's going to be difficult, sin-filled, backwards. But, oh, if we can embrace God's instruction for what the man and wife should be and, and what we should embrace, we have hope we have hope to be able to give glory to God, to put on display to an onlooking world wonderful things about God, wonderful things about Christ, wonderful things about his church, wonderful things about humility, wonderful things about love, well, wonderful things about self sacrifice. Uh, So let's talk about this a little bit more. Let's put some meat on the bones of these roles and what God's intention is, uh, particularly as it pertains to marriage. Go ahead and turn back to Ephesians 5. As we've considered God's design for manhood and womanhood, I want to talk a little bit about now the roles for husbands and wives. And we see a a great kind of uh, expression of both of these in Ephesians 5. Start in verse 22. Wives, and as we read this, I want you to just think in mind, you can even jot down on your outlines, um... What are the roles of husbands? What are the roles of wives as we work through this? We'll talk about it in just a moment. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be subject to their husbands in everything. Verse 25. Husbands. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. All right, what do you see from that passage in regards to the role of a husband in the marriage relationship? Great, David. Yep, husbands act as head of the wife. Show us from the passage where you see that. I agree. Uh, 23. For the husband is the head of the wife. Perfect. Do you guys see that? For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. There's a role differentiation there. What else? Okay. Great. And where do you see that one? Responsibility for teaching her the word. So that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of the water. Yep. 20 uh, 26 so that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word. That's talking about Jesus and the church there. Uh, but there's uh, an expressed instruction for man to have a, a vested interest in the spiritual well-being um, of his wife to care for her to shepherd her what else robert uh, to, to, protect and to protect and provide where do you see that robert So, husbands also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. Okay? So, the kind of self care, preservation, care that one has for themselves, they're to actually demonstrate that for their wife. There's a, a loving, protection, care, stewardship. What else? Yep. Thank you, Eric. Sacrificially. And what was it? Selflessly. Sacrificially and selflessly. Love, love their wife. Love your wife. Where do we see that? Verse 25. I think we see it several times. Verse 28 and so on. Love your wife as you love your own body. Sacrificial Christ-like love. Okay. And this is important to recognize as we're talking about role differentiation. I think sometimes it's easy for men to get excited about the headship part of their responsibility and to miss the other responsibilities that complement that headship, that really shape that headship, which is a self-giving, sacrificial, considering the other person as more important than yourself kind of love. A willing to die to yourself for the other's good. A preoccupation with the care and the needs of the other person. It's easy for many men to get excited about the thought of getting to call shots, or maybe it's not. Maybe they don't want that responsibility, and they pass that on to their wife. But where it seems many men miss the mark is the self-sacrificing love that does embrace God's design for headship, that does embrace God's design for sacrificial leadership, that does embrace God's design that recognizes the most loving thing I can do for my wife is to point her to Christ. To point her to God's word, to enable her to embrace all that God calls her to be, to consider her needs above my own. How about wives? What do we see about God's instruction for wives in this passage? Submit. Where do we see that one? And I wasn't looking up. Yes. Yep. 22 wives. Be subject, be under, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Okay. What else? Respect. Excellent. Where do you see that? 33, exactly. She respects her husband. What else? Anything else in there? That's it. That's it. (laughs) Case closed. Call it a day. (laughs) It's summed up in those things for wife to be subject to to embrace the leadership of her husband. And the image there is the way that the Christ or the way that the church comes under Christ. That's the imagery that Paul sets forth. A husband is to lead in the way that Jesus sacrificially leads and cares for his church, went to the cross for his people and a woman, the wife is to submit to embrace that leadership. To not, not push against it, to not fight against it, to not argue against it at every turn. But in anything and everything that she can come under that leadership and subjection, she is to do that. And, and of course, there's exceptions. If a husband is asking his wife to sin, I believe we'd all agree she's not to subject herself to that. She's not to be uh, obedient or to honor a request for sin. But her disposition, her heartbeat for her husband should be any and every way that I can be subject to my husband, that I can respect my husband, that I can be a helper for my husband. That's what I want to embrace. That's what I want to go after. As opposed to looking for any and every opportunity to remove herself from under that leadership. In the same way, the man's leadership shouldn't be looking for every way to get his wife to do what serves him. He should be looking at every turn in his leadership at how he can die to himself for the good of his bride. That is a proper biblical view of the roles of man and woman in the marriage relationship as God designed. And as God intends it to be. And that must be the starting point as we're going to be talking in the coming weeks. Practically about how this works itself out in the marriage relationship. We must remember these things. God's intention for the marriage relationship. Spiritual equality. Role differentiation. Any questions at this point? Comments? Yes. Yes. absolutely yeah you know that actually turn to 1st corinthians 11 i love that's a great point we actually see that very reality set forth in 1st corinthians 11 verse 3 And I agree, I just love this. Christ is the center. Uh, Christ is the bearing for a, for a man in his leadership. Christ is the bearing for a woman in her submission. Look at verse three of chapter 11, 1 Corinthians. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man. And the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. Okay, so, as a man is to think about his leadership as being the head. Who is he to look to? To whom is he to look? Christ as his head. Do you see that there? Okay. And then the man is the head of the woman and God is the head of Christ. Role differentiation. In a woman looking to how she should submit, to whom should she look? at how Christ submits to his head, the father. And so for the man who's working out what his headship look like, he looks to how Christ loves and leads the church. And when a woman's thinking about subjection and submission to her husband, who can she look to? Look at the way that the son submitted himself to the father. And there we just have to have our minds be Blown by the greatness of Christ. He truly is amazing, astonishing. So, husbands, wives, any other comments, questions before we move on? Okay, next, understand God's purpose for marriage. Understand God's purpose for marriage. We just looked at understanding God's design for men and women and how that plays itself out or, or, or influences God's design for marriage. Now we need to just take a little time to understand God's purpose for marriage, God's purpose for marriage. For the believer, it's the universal answer. It's for his glory. Everything about our lives, if you are in Christ, is for the glory of God. We know that God is working all things for his people to the glory of his name and our good. Our number one priority in our marriage relationship, the number one thing that we should desire in a marriage relationship, if you are married, this is what should be the pinnacle of what you are after. If you are not married, this is what you should pray for someday if God has marriage in your future. If you are not going to be married someday, This is what you should pray for, for your brothers and sisters in Christ. That we would have marriages that glorify God. That glorify God. And listen, if each one of us could just keep this at the forefront of our hearts and minds, at all times in our marriage, we would have much, much better marriages. At the moment, every disagreement begins. If we reminded ourselves, okay, can we just... Both together agree and remember that our purpose right now in this relationship is to glorify God. Okay, let's take the next step forward in this disagreement. <sighs> Never mind. What did you want? <laughs> I mean, just think of, think of the impact that thinking rightly, consistently about your marriage and its primary goal, its primary end being the glory of God would bring. What kind of input, impact would that bring? God's purpose for marriage is his own glory. It's his own glory. There's other reasons as well that God has created the institution of marriage. And we need to hold these with their proper weights and their proper places, but we should understand God's intention for marriage as we want to embrace his design for it. First and foremost, it's about his glory. It's not for our comfort. It's not first and foremost for our own personal fulfillment. It's not because we're lonely. First and foremost, we'll get to those reasons. God actually has some sweet intentions for marriage. But first and foremost, above every other thing, what God intends for His people and their marriages is that he would be glorified. Now, there's other things subordinate to this that God intends for marriage as well. One of those is companionship. We see that where God looks and says, it's not good for man to be alone. A wonderful reality of God's purpose for marriage is the reality of companionship. Married couples should embrace this, should cultivate this should seek to have this present in their marriage, a a relationship, a love for one another, a unity with one another, an understanding of one another, enjoying each other's company. It's not good for a man to be alone. Thus married couples, they should spend time together. Your wife should not simply be a roommate and you both just kind of come and go and there's no relationship. There's no interaction. If, the man is to lead as Christ loves the church sacrificially and the woman is to submit and embrace the man's leadership, that's going to be done at a very poor level if you're not actually interacting with each other. Spend time together. Seek to understand and care for one another. One of the wonderful realities about marriage is that it is a lifelong process of learning about your spouse. You never graduate. You never get to the point where you go, I know my spouse perfectly. Because you go to sleep, you wake up the next day, and she changes. Or he changes. And they used to like this food, and now they don't. And they used to have this tendency, and now they don't. And they used to like this kind of movie, and now they don't. And they used to like to go do this recreational thing, and now they don't. And they used to want to talk a lot, and now you have to draw them out. Or you used to have to work really hard to draw them out, and now they won't stop talking. I've heard Smed talk about the fact that he's a janitologist, and he's committed to that for the rest of his life. To never stop studying, to never stop learning, to never stop growing and knowing his wife. And we should follow that example. We should seek to understand, to care, to know personally, and never get to the point where we just think, well, I've arrived, We need to appreciate one another. We need to show love towards one another, thankfulness towards one another. We need to prioritize each other more compared to others. This is difficult. Life gets full, right? Have you ever had an instance where you have people over at your house night after night after night, you have commitments, commitments, and all of a sudden you realize that you've had more meaningful conversations with people who aren't your spouse than you have with your spouse in two weeks have passed? That may happen at times. We need to have our antennas up that that is not the continual pattern. It will inevitably happen. You'll have time that goes on and your schedule's full and you don't get to debrief in all the ways that you wish you could. But we should work hard to protect those times to make sure that we can prioritize each other more compared to others. And listen, if somebody comes and asks you if you can get together, what's your eagerness In comparison to if your spouse asks you for some time to talk. Do you you give the perception when somebody asks you, hey, can we get together sometime? Oh, I'd love that. Yeah, let's do it. What's your, I've got this day free, this day free, this day free. Hey, honey, can we talk about some things? (sighs) Yeah, if we can squeeze it in, I'm real tired. It's been a full week. We can't have that kind of disposition, that kind of attitude in our marriage. We need to cultivate companionship. We need to prioritize one another. We need to be transparent with one another, honest with one another. Cultivate the intimacy within the marriage that God desires. Obviously, physically, but also emotionally and spiritually. We need to make sure that we're being honest and and up, uh, up front with each other. We need to communicate with each other. God's concerned with His glory. We, uh, God's also designed for marriage is companionship. God also has a design within the marriage relationship for service of one another. The wife is to be a helper. The husband is to sacrificially love his wife. There is to be a characterization within every marriage relationship of service of one another, service of one another. Have you ever been in a conversation with your spouse and it starts to take a turn? Who's gonna do this thing? Well, I did this. Well, I did this. I did this. How far back are you going to go? (laughs) And what does that kind of conversation actually reflect is taking place? You are not embracing an attitude of love, self-giving love. You're not looking to be a helper. If you're a wife, if you're pulling out the list of all the things that you did, and now why the why your husband should take the trash out, change the diaper wash the dishes and husband, if you're going, I worked all day, I'm exhausted. The least you could do is wash the dishes. Well, then you just need to close up shop and call a pastor right away because that's a, that's not the right attitude to have. You can't bring that kind of attitude into the marriage relationship. There needs to be an eagerness to serve one another. God's design, his purpose for marriage. One of the fundamental things is that there is service of one another taking place. And if it's not, there needs to be. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church by showing self-giving love in all things. And a wife is to be a helper for her husband in this life. A worker in the home. Prayer, encouragement, support, respectful and loving admonishment where needed, shepherding and training of children. Wife, when was the last time you asked your husband... How can I help you today? What's, what's on your agenda? What can I do to aid you with what you have going on this week? Is there anything that comes to mind? And then husbands, we need to remember that your wife is not only a helper. She also is a companion. And women have responsibilities within their relationship to God. They care for their children, uh, involvement in the church. Husbands, when was the last time you asked your wife, wife, how have I enabled you to fulfill your God-given responsibilities? How have I led you in a way that points you and enables you to embrace what God calls you to be and do? There needs to be a preoccupation with serving one another. This is a, a blast from the past. When Julie and I first started dating, we were high school sweethearts. She was 17 Uh, I had just turned 17 and I remember it vividly because it was a a foundational point in, in my life where I, we were sitting in my parents' living room on the couch and I asked her, what are your hopes and dreams? What do you desire in life? And she goes, you know, if the Lord were to bless us with children, I would really love to be a mom someday. If the Lord would give that, but more than anything, I just want to come alongside and help you in whatever way you would want to lead our family. We were 17. That's when I, well, actually, I had already concluded that I wanted to marry her, but that's when I really knew I need to marry this woman. This is, this is, there's no explanation for this than the grace of God. And, you know, after almost 18 years in a marriage relationship, after two years of dating, she's been faithful to that. It's just been unbelievable that that was her heartbeat from day one to want to embrace uh, God's design by being a helper. She's, she stood by that by God's grace. Don't ask her how good of a sacrificial leader I've been. Okay. (laughs) She's been an unbelievable helper. That's great. That should be our heartbeat, wanting to enable each other, wanting to serve each other to embrace what God desires for each of us. A couple things as we wrap up. Also, God's purpose is a characterization of Christ in the church. In your marriage relationship, we get to put on display some beautiful, glorious things about Christ in the church. We saw that in Ephesians 5, right? That's one of the purposes of marriage is to to put on a, a beautiful picture of Christ's sacrificial love, of God's intention for the church to humbly submit under Christ's leadership. It's good to just maybe consider that. As an on-looking world gets insight into my marriage, what picture do they see? Where is the picture that God desires my marriage to reflect? Where is it marred? Where do we need to grow? Also, marital intimacy is God's purpose to be one flesh, procreation, be fruitful and multiply, God's design for marriage. All of these things are important to keep in mind as we understand God's purpose for marriage. Okay, that's what we're going to cover today. There's a lot. We're going to speed up the next two weeks. We have a lot to get through, but what we're going to do is we're going to look at A few different categories is in regards to fundamentals of biblical marriage. As we want to embrace God's design for biblical marriage, we're going to look at some some fundamentals, starting with communication. We're going to be covering things like, how do I address sin in the marriage relationship? How do I be addressed regarding sin in relationship? How do we work through conflict? Maybe there's not a sin issue, but we have a difference of opinion about a specific topic. How do we approach that as well as parenting within the marriage relationship? How to think through those things. So some of the, those are some of the things we're going to be working through. Each of you should have received a packet. If you're married, I've got homework for you. On the last page of your packet, there are discussion questions for husbands and wives. And this is, this is your homework. Go home and work through this together. So one of you, each of you, will ask each other, in what ways does our marriage reflect spiritual equality? And then you listen. In what ways does our marriage reflect role differentiation? Uh, what areas of our marriage are strongest? What areas of our marriage do you think need the most growth? And then each of you in love needs to rate your marriage on the following things and then give explanations and talk through why you concluded that. How can you strengthen that? What might that look like on each of the following glorifying God, companionship, service of one another, characterization of Christ in the church, marital intimacy, and so on. So here's the deal though. We're not getting to conflict resolution until next week. So just listen, okay? Just listen to one another. Be patient. Don't, don't repay evil. Vengeance is the Lord. Don't have sarcastic. Well, thanks a lot for that answer. That really helped me a ton. Let's not have those kinds of statements. And, um, and then we'll pick up next week.